personalities that we're going to run across in uh, chapter 19. Not that we haven't run across some of these already, because some of these guys we've already ran across. But there's so many different people <clears throat> that are mentioned in here. And just, um, I was trying to figure it out, kind of like, okay, some people, they're, they're in it for themselves. Other people, they're in it for the Lord. Other people, they're in it for... Um, it just depends because people are so different. And I think that as you listen to tonight, and, and I hope I can make, make some justice out of it, do some justice out of it, you, you will find yourself in one of these personalities. Or, or you're going to think of somebody as like, that is them. Um, and, 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 it's, and, and we're not here to like, hey, think of the people. And then say, they should be listening to this. Because um, I want you to say, okay, Lord, where, do, where does that fit for my life? Because, again, we're going to cover so many different types of people. And so beginning in verse 1, the first seven verses, it says, And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for all the people, for the people heard, heard it said that that day the king is grieving for his son and the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, my son, oh my son, Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the life of your sons and daughters, the, life of, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night, and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. I can picture David going, take it easy. Hey, man, geez, my son just got killed, man. Hold on there, big boy. But you see you see this, this scenario that's going on here as we... As we saw last week, again, the battle that had happened and, and Absalom being killed. Now, the order, if you remember, the order went out to, to the commanders. Hey, if you can, or not even if you can, hey, play it safe with my son. I'd like for him to be alive, basically, is what he was saying. And in that situation where, where Absalom gets, gets caught in the tree, and the guy comes and tells 
uh, Joab about it. And Joab's going, what? And you just left them there? And Joab goes and takes three, three daggers, basically, and stabs them and kills them and does them off. And the other guys, they just kind of like do them in just for the heck of it. And they kill the guy. And so when, when, when the news comes to the king, nobody tells them this is the way it went down. They just said, your son is dead. He doesn't know that it's Joab that has done this deed, that has gone against his command. Because Joab probably thought, we cannot have two kings. And if we keep that cat alive, if we bring him back, it's not going to be good. So if we just take care of it now, we can get the kingdom back. And so we, we, we can understand here the whole situation. Say what you will about Joab. <laughs> and I've told you before, I don't even know where to stand with this guy. It's hard to figure this guy out. But say what you will about Joab. In this instance, he is the man. He is spot on. In coming to the king and putting... I'll put it this way, the king in his place. Now, you just don't do that. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. But he does. And this was one of those places where, where something had to be done. Now, Joab is putting his own life on the line. Even though he is the nephew to King David, he is still a commander, a subordinate to the king. And he is coming in and telling the king what's up and what he needs to do. And so he is not only putting, put his life on the line out in the battle, but now coming and confronting the king the way he is. Well, again, you just don't talk to a king that way. I mean, it, it, it's, he's putting his own life on the line. You don't get fired from, from a situation like this. You, get, you just get killed. Right? You know, it, 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 that's the way it kind of rolled back then. That's the way they kind of did business back then. Somebody rises up against you, you kill him. And which is interesting because, again, his son has risen up against him, but he has compassion on his son. And here Joab, he, he comes or it's told to him, hey, he is still mourning. He is still weeping. Now, I don't know how long this, this time frame was from, this, from the last chapter to this chapter. It just seems that it flows right right along, that, that he is just mourning that day. He is just weeping. But they can hear him in his chamber that he continues to, to cry out, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And, and, and we know that, that again, man, he is, he is a mourning father. He loved his son. So it is understandable. Now, on top of that, knowing that his son was not seeking after the things of God. I think it's, it's, it's even heavier on his heart, understanding that he's probably never going to see his son in the afterlife. Not, not, not like he mourned for his other son, the baby who died, who when he said, you know, I, I, I can't bring him back, but one day I will go to him. He's not saying this about Absalom here. Absalom is in a place where more than likely there's going to be this divide. And, and, and they're never going to be able to see one another again. So, so it's almost like he, he's mourning because his son's death, but I think he's mourning because his son has probably gone to hell. David's heart is so burdened for his son that he said in, in the earlier chapter, he says he, he had wished... 
that he had died in his place instead. Kind of taking that, that, that brunt of the sin, you know, and, and just kind of that, that my life, that my son might have eternal life with the Lord. He's, he's almost saying, I wish we could have traded places in that. But I have to ask the question, as he is mourning in this way and desiring even to, to, to have the, the tables turned, why, why was Absalom's heart so far away from God when it seemed that David's heart was so close to God? Why? Why, why, why did Absalom not follow after his dad's God? And so as I'm looking at this and I'm seeing the mourning that what he's going through, I'm thinking, why, why didn't you fix things, David? You know, when you had the time to pour into your son... You know, even with all the stuff that had happened, with, with the rape of the daughter and with the killing of the other son, he still had a time to be able to reconcile and bring him back and say, here, man, you have sinned, you have messed up, but let, let me restore you and let me, let me show you the graciousness of God. You see, there was a time when they were reconciled, but it was very surface. And now that he's gone, he, he, he has... He has no, no chance to, to fix that. And, and so as I'm looking at this, I'm going, man, oh man, you had the opportunity to pour into your son, but you didn't. And guys, it, it just, again, man, it just kind of breaks my heart because there, there are situations in our lives when, when God gives us opportunities to reconcile and to pour into other people's lives, and, and yet because of the hardness of our hearts, or because we're upset, or because we just don't want this relationship, or whatever it is, and, and, and so, so there's this divide, and, and we never get it right. And then somebody passes away, and then there's this regret, and there's remorse that we didn't do what we should have done. And I think that's part of this whole mourning thing that, that David is going through. But the fact of the matter was that David's son was out to kill him. And for that matter, anybody else that followed or sided with his father. And so David's son was actually an enemy of the state and was in the process of overthrowing the kingdom. So because David is mourning for his son, the, the, the victory that day was now turned into mourning for the rest of the people. And the rest of the people are feeling like, did we do something wrong here? Because we're, we're, we're protecting the throne. <laughs> we're protecting the king. We're protecting the nation. And, and, and it tells us that, that not only were they protecting all them, they were protecting their families and their own lives, that, that they stole away or stole back as if they had fled from battle. The New Living Translation puts verse 3 like this. They crept back into the town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted the battle. That's the way these guys were feeling. You see, what was happening was because King David, instead of going out and celebrating with the troops, high-fiving them as they're coming in, he goes and, and, and cries in the room for his son. And so now he's sending this, this message that, that, that they have done something wrong. And so we see a heart of a father who is hurting, but he's also the king 
who, who should have taken care of business beforehand so that his son never got to this point. But be that as it may, that now his son is at this point. He is the enemy of the state. Forget the ties of, of family. He has to think of the nation. And he is sending the wrong message to the people. Instead of congratulating them, they have a sense that they have done something wrong. And so Joab, in verses 5 to, to 7, it says that, that he comes into the house of the king. And, 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 and again, as I'm reading this, you could, you could picture this in a movie, <laughs> right? You could picture King David up in his chambers and he's just sobbing and yelling, oh, my son, my son, and Absalom coming in and, and people talking to him and you don't know exactly what's happening and then you just see the stomping now, boom, 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 boom. And, and Joab's just probably a brute. He is just probably a brute. I don't think he knocked on the door. I really don't. I could just see this whole scene of the music just getting louder and louder, and then they softer music with him kind of crying over here, and then louder, louder, boom, boom, boom. And it's like, oh, geez, something's going to happen. And he just busts through these doors. And David, man, just kind of like... You see, Joab knew the quality of his men. He knew what kind of men that were fighting next to him. He understood these kind of... He, he knew the risks that all these men were willing to take for the king that is crying for his son. And he wasn't going to let the king get away with that. And that is a hard situation to be in. <laughs> when, when, when you're the commander and your king is mourning the loss of the enemy basically. And, and I like what he does. He comes in and, and, and he tells him, he says, today you're a disgrace. You're a disgrace to the whole nation. And I'm thinking, I didn't Joab, you're going to get killed. But Joab, he, he's at a place going, no, this is not right. And, and, and isn't there times that, that, that people have to be that up front, that bold, that brash even? To where you have to put somebody in place. I don't know about you. I hate doing that part. You know. Well I hate when people put me in place. But, 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 but it's just one of those types. That, that, that Joab has been put in the situation. Where he has to do something about this. Because like he says later. If you don't change this right now. I can guarantee you. Because he had a pulse on the people. None of them will be with you by, by morning. They will all desert you. And whatever you've gone, gone through and throughout your whole life, and David had gone through a lot, it will be worse than ever before. So you better change this. Because these people have risked their lives, not just for you and your family and your wives and your, even your concubines, but for the whole nation, but their wives and their families as well. They've risked it all. And it almost seems like, like, like you love your enemies and hate your friends. Man, this guy comes in, and again, he's totally putting, out, putting his life on the line. And I don't think he cared much about it at this point. I really don't think that David, again, his personality, his type, I really don't think he meant to hurt the people. I really don't. I think he was so grieved I think he was so hurt with what was going on that, that he didn't realize he was sending this, this mixed message to the people. And I don't know if you've been in that situation 
where, where, where you, you, you're so, you know, I guess blinded by the situation that you might be in, that you don't realize the, the message that you're putting out to everybody else. And I truly believe that, that I think we all need to, not, not on a regular basis, but I think we all need to have some kind of a Joab in our lives. We, we, we sometimes have to be the Joab to other people, but I think that, that we also should allow people to be in our lives to be a Joab to us. Now, <laughs> uh, preferably not your spouse, because... Uh, because men will call that nagging and, and women will call that belittling or something. But sometimes it does. It has to be the spouse, huh? It has to be those who are close to you, who, who see what's going on. And again, man, it's not a, a great place to be in. I, I hate being on that side, <laughs> on either side. But again, there's times when we have to be a Joab to somebody or somebody has to be a Joab to us. Now, again, it shouldn't be on a daily basis like that unless you're, like, messing up every stinking day. But to allow somebody to speak truth because what you're portraying is not good for your family or for your coworkers or for the people around you. And it can also also happen in the churches, man. (laughs) Sometimes there's mixed messages that go out and people are trying to be kind and trying to do this and they should have just been abrupt or up front and straight up. But Joab has to kind of set things straight here. Again, we shouldn't enjoy being a Joab in somebody's life. I, I, I think if you're ever put in that situation, it better be done prayerfully. <laughs> it should be done in love and speaking the truth. What Joab tells David is true. And it was for David's benefit if he took heed to his commander, the one that was set over all these people, it, it would have been wise for him. It, it wasn't meant to humiliate David. I really don't think so. And, and that's why when, when, when God puts you in a situation to be a Joab, it's not to humiliate somebody else, to put them in their place and make sure that they know that they've been put in their place. I think it should, again, be with humility as a Joab to talk to somebody else. Now, we don't see much humility with Joab here. But he had to set the king straight. And it was for his benefit. And it was to lift up the morale of the army, of those who had put their lives on the line. And so, again, up to this point, I don't think David knew what had happened. And again, I, I just kind of been, you know, reading the, the Amplified and the New Living Translations. I'm going through these stories and I want to read verses 6 and 7 in the New Living Translation. It says, You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems as if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Now go out there and congratulate the troops. For I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. 
then you will be worse off than ever before. Oh, plain and simple. And so in verse 8, it says, then, then the king arose and sat at the gate and told all the people, saying, and all the people then, and they told all the people, saying, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king. For every one of Israel had fled to his tent. Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved, saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we have anointed over us, has died in battle. Now therefore... Why do you say nothing about bringing him, bringing back the king? <clears throat> David realized that Absalom was making sense. And I love the fact that, again, David's type, this, this type of man. Again, I don't think he, he wanted to hurt anybody, but he was mourning. Realized what he had done and he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He put aside his personal mourning that he was going through to do what he was supposed to go and do. And I love that about David. Because again, I don't think David at this point was wanting to hurt anybody. He's, a, he's 60 years old about. And I think he understands what life is all about. And, and, and at this point, instead of being one of those crotchety old men that, that, that are set in their ways... His way is like, well, then I need to fix this. It's never too late to be humble in your life. Never. If you're one of those types of people that is like, well, I'm just setting my ways. Well, guess what? God can break your ways. So, so if you've done something, something that's not right, and somebody comes to you, it's like you need to fix it. It's like, I don't care. Let the chips fall where they may. It's like, no, God, God's not pleased with that. He really is not. He would rather that somebody humble themselves and get things right in, in, in our lives instead of just the, the pride welling up and saying, this is where I stand, I'm not moving. Because God has a way of moving things like that. I, I was just talking to somebody the other day and, and again, just talking about ministry stuff and, and I was on campus, and it was somebody that I hadn't seen, but the Lord had laid him on my heart. And I was on campus, and I ran across him. We started talking. And I kind of had to remind him because of what he was kind of sharing with me. I said, you know, there's two ways of, for humility to work. Either humble yourself or be humbled. And it's much easier when you humble yourself than when the Lord has to humble you. And it was interesting because the Lord had laid this man on my heart, and I haven't seen him in months. And there's, there's two ways to, to humble yourself or get humbled. There's two ways humility happens. And guys, again, when, when, when you're caught in a situation where it's like, I could, I, I could stand on my laurels here and say no, or, or I can humble myself. And I love that about David here. It, doesn't, it didn't mean that he had stopped mourning for his son. He just couldn't do it in front of the people like, like he had been doing. And the people... They, that, that felt ashamed. They came out and they stood next to their king because they saw him. 
They, they were so in love with David. They were, they were willing to die for this man. And, and again, the shame that they were feeling all of a sudden is like he's out in the gate. He's where he's supposed to be. And they came and they just surrounded him and they engulfed him. And they probably understood, hey, it's his son, man. He's in a, he's in a hard dilemma. And, and, and again, this is where, where we as people, when we understand that people are in this, this crazy dilemma that they're having a battle, that we would show that kind of grace as well. To say, I know it's a hard choice for you right now. It's a hard situation that you're in. And thank you for putting that aside so you can minister to us. But we need to cut people slack when, when we know that they're in a hard situation. But what they needed from their king was not to feel ashamed, but to, to feel appreciated that they had done what they were supposed to go and do. And they won the victory. And now they're receiving what they wanted from their king. And so in verses 9 and 10, at the end of verse 8, it says that everyone of Israel fled to the tent, to their tents. He's talking about the people that were following after Absalom. They all went back to their tent. And verses 9 and 10 are, are pointing towards those types of people where it says that the people were in dispute throughout the tribe of Israel. The tribe of Israel was the, the, the northern part of Israel who, who were following after Saul, for the most part, and the lower tribes were the ones who were following after David. When David became king, he, he combined them together. But the ones that he's talking about here are those who were basically on Saul's side, and they were coming alongside David, but when the rebellion came in, they quickly jumped on board with Absalom. And so he, he's talking about these people who, who were following after Absalom, whether they were doing willingly or unwillingly, but they had gone back to their tent. And now they're all, all wondering, how do we fix this whole situation? We had turned our backs on the king, followed his son instead. Now he's dead. What do we do? And it is quite possible that, that they feared Absalom more than they feared David. Because you see, fear is, is a good motivator, but, a not, but it is not a good motivator, but it's a great manipulator. <laughs> fear is. And so a lot of these people, they were following after Absalom because they feared what he could do to them. But you see, it's much easier, <laughs> for the most part, it was much easier for them to go with the flow and go with this coup than it was to stand up for, for what they knew was right. Even if they didn't like Absalom, they, they, they feared him. And so they went along with him. But as they were wondering how all of this was going to get fixed, the Lord was already at work in the heart of David to make the first move. Again, David humbling himself um, to make even his comeback. Now, again, remember that, again, these two nations, that you had the northern nation and the southern nation. And, and the, the southern nation, they were the ones that anointed King uh, David as king in the first place. But they also had turned their back on him. And so when we get to verse 11, it says, So, so King David sent to Z uh, Zadok and Abithar, Abiathar, the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, again, the southern section, saying, Why 
Are you the last to bring the king back to his house since the word of all Israel have come, the words of all Israel have come to the king, to his very house? You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, you are, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. So he, Amasa, swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, which uh, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent his word to the king, return you and all your household. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came uh, to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king back uh, across the Jordan. And so we see that David, he calls on these two guys, Zadok and Abiathar, whom had le- he had left behind. They were the priests at his orders. They left behind and now, and they were the go-between while he was away, but now he's going to be the go-between to bring him back. And it's almost like the complication that was going on here was that the southern section should have reached out to David right away to, to bring him back, to invite him back. But what had happened is these guys, they felt probably worse than the northern section because they were bigger betrayers than they were because they were of David's tribe. And that's why he's saying, you guys are my family. You guys are all these things to me. Why haven't you invited me back to come back? Because the people in Israel, they're already talking about bringing me back. And so it almost seems like all of this is being done kind of, kind of in secret by, by these two guys to go back and talk to Amasa and, and, and get this thing taken care of so that they invite him to come back. Now, Amasa, um, he was a commander for, for um, uh, Absalom, but he was also David's nephew, which made him Absalom's and Joab's cousin. Um, but things aren't going to work out good for Amasa. And, and at this point, it would be much, I would much rather be an enemy of, the, of David's family than part of the family because they just seem to like, like to kill each other uh, and do each other in. Um, and, and at this point now, David is now aware of what Joab has done. And, and that, this is why he is going to make Amasa the commander and again, it's not going to go. It's not going to flow good with with uh, Joab, um, but he is showing Amasa and the rest of the tribe. Hey, here's some forgiveness for you guys. I, I'm I'm asking you guys to do this so that it looks like you guys are the ones that are inviting me back instead of me just coming in and just kind of setting setting up my kingdom once again. Why don't you guys invite me to come back and it'll look like like it was your idea? But David's kind of behind this whole thing taking care of this whole thing. He says, and I'm going to make a mass of my commander. Instead of killing him, I'm going to bring him back. And I'm sure the people of, uh, of the southern section are probably going, man, we should have been his, you know, we should have been with him this whole time. 
And, and if he comes back, what if he kills us first? <laughs> and so maybe there's, there's where the complication came in. But I love the fact that, again, David is, is, is making the first move. He's humbling himself, giving them the opportunity to invite him back so that it all kind of flows. And Amasa is the one that, that, that uh, brought the hearts all together and, and kind of worked out this whole deal so that it didn't look bad on them. And so once again, we see David almost allowing Amasa to look good in the eyes of, a pe- of the people. And David didn't mind doing that, getting the invitation to come back. And he graciously accepts the invitation to come back. And so now in verse 16 to verse 23, it says, Then Shimei, the son of uh, Gira, the Benjamite, who was from Bahram, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with them, with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and, do, and to do what uh, he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gira, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should, not t- should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, what here, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. Then, uh, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not uh, Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I do not know that day, for, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the, and the king swore to him. And so as I'm reading this, you know, and Gary taught on this guy a, a while back, and I thought, well, 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 look at... Look at who's shimmying down to the river, man, to meet the king. It's the foul mouth shimmy doing the shimmy shimmy cocoa bop, shimmy shimmy bop, you know, all the way over there, you know, to try to, to appease the king, you know, how, how, how fortunate, you know, for this guy. It's like, I'm going to be the first one down there and I'm going to make sure he knows that I'm the first one down there. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, what? <laughs> Man, this guy, it's, it's like I looked up his name in the Hebrew to see if it meant weasel or something, and it didn't. But I'm thinking, can you believe this guy? 
He, he makes his way and he makes sure that he is one of the first people or the first person to meet the king as he comes out. And, and you've got to give him credit, man. He, 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 he gets out there and he's probably thinking, I'm a dead man. I am for sure a dead man. Never in a million years did I ever think that David would be back on this territory. I just figured that Absalom would go and kill him and no big deal. And this is why we should think before we speak and curse someone. You know, because he is cursing this man to no end. And he never thought that he would have to be groveling to this man. Did you notice how many times he called him king and lord and your servant? It's like, you know who I am, man. I am on my face right now. You didn't think I was serious, right? You didn't think, you know, it was like, I was just putting on a show. It's like, Abishai, all too willing, is like, do you want me to take his head off now? Because I can do that in a heartbeat. In one fell swoop, I'll take this little snake's head off. And, and, and I, again, you see, you see this, this character, this type, Shimei, he's not really sorry. He's just, he's just like, dang it, man, he's coming back. And I'm going to get killed. And this guy, he is all out for himself. And we see that even later on. He, he was not sorry for what he had done. He was just sorry he got caught or that David was still alive and he comes back and now he has to grovel, but he has not changed his tune. If he truly was sorry about what had happened, he would have deserted Absalom and went across the Jordan and apologized to David. But he's not sorry, not one bit. And you come across people like that sometimes in your life. Or maybe you are, you are one of those shimmy-eye kind of guys. Who you're really never really sorry. You just try to weasel your way out of everything that happens. Oh, you run off at the mouth. <laughs> and you really don't regret it. See, that's who this man was here. He really didn't regret any of it. And David... Again, here he is in the middle of all this whole thing. And I'm wondering if he's going, if, if, if Shimei is going, well, if he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me first, quick and fast and easy, and, and, and we're done with. Or if he tries to kill me, the fight might be on again. And, and, and maybe David doesn't really want to go back to battle. So maybe he's playing it smart, of doing it in front of a thousand men. But he falls before the king. And he's eating crow. And I'm wondering if he even had a, a feeling in the pit of his stomach. You know, when, you, when you're really nervous and you have to, like, apologize and humble yourself. You know that pit that kind of just, kind of like, oh, geez, I think I should go to a restroom before I go do this. That kind. I don't even know if he had that kind of sensation going on in his life. Or he's just such a weasel that he's going... If I die, I die. If he forgives me, good for me, but I am not sorry, not one bit. But he's trying to save his skin right now. And again, to David's credit, he humbles himself and telling Abishai, no, 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 Abishai, nobody's going to die today. And, and, and he gives this guy the word, Abishai, you're not going to die today. Or not Abishai, Shimei, you're not going to die. He gives him his word. But this is what David said to his son Solomon before he died. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 9, 8 and 9, he says, And see, 
you have with you Shimei, who cursed me with a malicious curse on the day when I went to Mahananam. He came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. <laughs> All righty, David. <laughs> okay, pops, I'll take care of that guy. He's not going to die of old age. He's not going to allow his gray hair to hit the bottom, to hit the ground without some blood. Take care of him. See, David had mercy on him over here because he understood the situation at hand. And nobody's dying today. And Shimei, you lucked out today. But you will get yours one of these days. <laughs> and again, guys, it just kind of reminds me once again that we should always think before we speak. <laughs> because you never want to be a Shimei. <laughs> you never want to be put in that situation because people don't forget. Oh, they might forgive you, but they don't forget. People have the opportunity not to bring it up. But man, right now, you could remember some of the things that have been said to you, and you can't forget them. But you do have the ability not to bring them up. Another snake came with him that day, and that was uh, Zeba and his boys. And so... Ziba, if you remember, he was the one that kind of messed up Mephibosheth, telling the king, oh yeah, he thinks that he's going to get the kingdom back. And at that time, David had said, you know what, why don't you just keep all the land? Just take, take it all, if that's the way he, he feels about me, after taking care of him. And so in verse 24, it says, Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he, sla he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king, that my lord, the king, is like an angel of God. Therefore, do, therefore do, what, you, do what is good in your eyes. For my father's house were dead men before my lord the king, yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry, in, cry out any more to the king? So the king said to them, Why do you speak any more of the matter? And he said, uh, Have I said... You and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather, let him take it all, inasmuch 
as my Lord the King has come back in peace to his own house. I, I, I love this character. This type of man. Here is a man who is so grateful for what he has received. He, he understood. Because when you go back to chapter 9, when David says, is there anyone else that I can show grace to from the house of Saul? And somebody said, there's Mephibosheth. It was Ziba, actually. And so he had adopted him and gave him everything. Restored to him all the property of the land. And when, when Ziba came in and slandered his, his and Mephibosheth saying, oh, he thinks he's going to get the kingdom back. And that's when he said, well, just keep everything. Take care of everything. And here we have Mephibosheth's side of the story. And he wanted to tell the king. He understood David's heart. But here's a man who is so grateful for what he has received. He, he, he doesn't... He he doesn't say like, yeah, let's divide this whole thing. Let's do all this. He says, no, no. You know what? Rather, let him keep it. I don't need any of that. As long as I have you, Lord. (laughs) As long as you're back in your house. As long as I can can live with you. And, and, And I love the fact that this man was truly sorrowful for what all that had happened. Because the day that David left, from that day, he did not take care of his feet anymore. He didn't wash them or whatever it was. He, he, he didn't trim his mustache. He didn't, he didn't wash his clothes. And some people say, that sounds like my husband. Um, <laughs> but, but, but he didn't do any of those things because he was truly uh, mourning over the fact of what had happened and how David might, might see him. And so here's a broken man that's going, man, if, if you would just take me back. I would be more than grateful, but even if you don't, I'm okay. Just let him keep it all. And again, you see the, a, a man's heart like that, that is just so willing to be grateful for anything he might receive. And if it, if it ends right here, I'm okay. I've already received so much grace from you. I should have been dead a long time ago, but you have given me life. And, it, and, and if it stops right here, I'm okay. You do what is right. Again, man, another guy who, who has this this pure heart in him. And then in verse 31, and Barzillai um, came down from where he lived and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now Barzillai uh, was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had... provided the king with supplies while he stayed in Mahanenim, uh, for he was a very rich man. And the king said, said to Barzillai, come across with me and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I t- to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I any longer uh, can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be any further burden to my lord the king? Your your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king, and why should the king repay me with 
such, re such a reward. Please let your servant, servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Kimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, King Kimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over to the Jordan, and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed uh, Barzillia and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Kimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half the people of Israel. And so now we have David wanting to repay this man who had blessed him in such a great, great way. And again, Pastor Gary touched on it a few weeks back, where this man and, and several others, when, when David went, they provided everything that they needed on the other side of the Jordan. He, he had just blessed him to no end. With all those people that were coming with David, it almost seemed like David didn't have to worry because the Lord provided through this man to this guy. And so now David's going, hey, Barzillia, or whatever his name is, <clears throat> why don't you come with me and I will take care of you for the rest of your life. And this guy, man, this poor guy is going, what good am I to you, man? <laughs> my taste buds are shot. My hearing is gone. I can't dance. I can't sing. I can't do anything. You know, you're going to have all these lavish feasts and, and what, what, what am I going to be doing? Uh, just hanging out in the back. Just let me go back and die. I'm okay. I'm okay hanging out over here. But man, I have one of my sons. Why don't you take him with you? I want you to bless him. And, and, and David's going, whatever you want. And again, you, he, here, here's a man who, who, who has give, given freely. And he's going, you don't have to repay me. You know? And, and to be that kind of type, you know, that type of person that's willing to give and give. You know, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and, and he was okay giving, but for him to receive, it's like, no, 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 no. I don't want any of that. No, the Lord put that on my heart to do, and I wanted to bless you. I, 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 I wasn't doing it so that you could pay me back. See, and there's another type that we run across, that, that we would be people like that, that we would be willing to give and give and give and not expect anything in return. Why? Because the Lord is our portion. He's already blessed us. He's already ministered to us, that we would be such a man like this that is willing to do that. And he's going, if you really want to bless, bless that guy. Take care of that one. And do for him as you would do for me. And so in verse 41, Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have your brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men uh, with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gifts? The men of Israel answered the, king of, uh, the, the men of Judah and said, We have 
ten shares of the king, therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you dispute us or despise us? They were not the first to advise bringing back the king. Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the men of Israel. And as I was reading this, I was just kind of reminded of the disciples. We want to be next to Jesus. No, we want to be next to Jesus. We're greater. No, I am greater. And it's just this, this, this disputing that is going on. And the, the guys of Judah are going, he's part of our family. That's, he should be with us. And these guys are going, well, we have 10 tribes, so we have 10 shares in him. So we want him. He belongs to us. And they're going, no, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. We got him first. He's ours. He's part of our people. And they're going, yeah, but, and, and it's just funny because their arguments became fierce. It's like, no, we want him. No, we want him. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't all you guys just forsake him earlier? Where were you guys, instead of like revolting against Absalom and saying, no, we love David. You guys, you guys let all this stuff happen. Now you guys are going, no, we want him back. We're kind of sorry that all this happened. We're okay, right? Come over here with us, David. Come over here, over here. And they're going, no, 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 over here, over here. And, and it's just kind of funny because that's kind of what happens even within the church. People kind of argue with one another, you know? And it doesn't seem like it's a bad argument. We want him. No, we want him. No, we're close to him. No, we want to be close to him. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, no, why don't you guys just love each other and just kind of bless David from here on out? He's old. Instead of fighting over him. <laughs> and so again, in this chapter, we have so many different types of people. We have people that have to be bold and brash. We have people that are humble. We have connivers, man. <laughs> we have people that, that, that just want it all for themselves. We have people that are going, man, the grace that you've given me, I'm good. I'm good with it. We have people that are givers, <laughs> We have all these types of people, man. And, and when you read this chapter, you just see the different types of people that David, the king, had to battle with, had to deal with. You know, all these people that at one point had turned their backs on him, now they're all like fawning over him and wanting him. And yet, through it all, through this chapter at least, we see David and grace just being poured out, humility continually coming through this life. Because I don't think David wanted any more wars. Oh, it's, it's not going to last long, but he just didn't want any wars. He wanted everything to be at peace because God had restored him back. And yet there was people that were fighting and people that were trying to get in good with him. And so, again, man, what a, to me, just a, an amazing chapter of different types of characters that are in the Bible. And these are therefore our examples. If you find yourself in one that is not too uh, good, <laughs> then allow the Lord to change that in your life. If, if, if God's already given you a heart of humility, of giving, of this or that, it's like excel in it. Excel. Because that's what the Lord wants from us. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much once again for your word, Lord. Just thank you for allowing me to get through it, Lord God. And, and uh, even though I can't get the names right all the time, Lord God, I just pray, God, that even as we see different types of men here in the Bible, Lord God. Again, Lord God, there's certain ones that, that we truly want to emulate. We truly want to, to, to exemplify and, and be like that, Lord God. Because, Lord, 
we all have it in us to be connivers. We all have it in us to be manipulators. We all have it in us to put fear in other people's lives. Lord, but we, we, we want to be more like you, Lord. We want humility. We want, Lord God, to, to bask in your grace and be satisfied with what you give us, Lord. We want to be givers, Lord, because you're always a giver. Lord, help us to bless and to encourage and to lift up, Lord, that we wouldn't bicker with one another about silly things even that would cause divisions, that would cause hurt, Lord. And so, Father, I thank you once again for this portion of Scripture. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.